Please remain standing and open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 45. Psalm 45, 1 through 7. To the choir master, according to the lilies, a masculine of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ruddy scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is the word of our Lord. It's my uh, privilege to bring the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord this morning. I've really enjoyed our series thus far on Christ, our mediator. Hope to continue to dive deep into what that means for us as his people, that we have a mediator between us and God. Today we'll take on I think, a little bit more of a serious tone than the last two sermons. Not that they weren't serious, but there is something a little more um, maybe heavy when we get to Christ as our King. So as we dive in that together, let's start with a quick word of prayer to our King. Lord of all grace, You have given us a Savior. Thank you. Produce in us a faith to live by Christ, to make Him all of our desire, all of our hope, all of our glory. May we enter Christ as our refuge and build on Him as our foundation, Walk in Him as our way. Follow Him as our true guide. Conform to Him as our example. For Christ is truly our living mediator. And we are the apple of His eye. May we receive His instruction as our prophet. Rely on His intercession as our high priest and obey Him as our King. By Your Spirit's power, Lord, enlighten the truth of Your Word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our Advent theme this week, it's week three, is uh, the topic of joy. And Christmas uh, should be a season of joy for us, right? Christmas is a season of reflection. Advent is a season of reflection. Therefore, it can be a joyous season for us. We reflect on the common graces of God 
given freely and lovingly to us. We think of family and friendship. We remember memories of past Christmases. But this can also be a season of reflection that causes sorrow. Loved ones lost, unmet expectations in life, and painful memories. This is why Advent is not just a season of reflection. It's also a season of longing. Longing is that desire, the craving, the hungering and thirsting after the thing which we so deeply desire that will satisfy us. Advent serves us so well, church, because it's a season of the year that guides us to reflect and long for what truly will give us joy, namely our true king, Jesus Christ. Jesus, church, is the king that we actually need. And by God's eternal purposes, the Lord Jesus is the king that we have by faith. And it's only through faithful submission to our king of power and our king of glory and our king of grace that we find ourselves able to live joyfully, not just in the season of Advent, but to live as joyful worshipers all throughout the year. We want to be worshipers who reflect first the Christ of Advent and long for the Christ of his second Advent. So this morning, I'm asking you all to do this. Surrender. Surrender to the king of all power. Believe in the king of sufficient grace and live with the king of glory forever. Because those who are the enemies of the king will be defeated. This we know for sure. Christ will have the final victory, church. And let me say, there will not be one single bystander on that day. Every man, every woman, every child will either have their joy made complete and their longings fully satisfied beyond expectation in God, or they will experience eternal sorrow and unsatisfied thirst and hunger forever. I understand that this feels heavy for a Christmas-themed sermon, but it feels heavy because it is heavy, church. This morning we are speaking of the king. So I say it again. Surrender to the king of all power. Believe in the king of sufficient grace and live with the king of glory forever. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. Now, this is the most detailed account of Jesus before his earthly judgment from Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of Judea at the time of Christ. In our Advent series so far, we have been considering what it means to have Jesus as our mediator, as our true living mediator, living in heaven right now, and how that affects us as the church right now. 
And we talk about this in a way that it's a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. We're given these categories scripturally to understand how Christ works among his church. It goes something like this, and Ryan, Ryan was really helpful uh, a few weeks ago on this topic. Before Christ, church, we were a people who were ignorant. So God, in his eternal purpose, provided a prophet to deliver truth. Before Christ, we were a people who were guilty before God. So God ordained Christ to be our high priest, to reconcile us to himself. Before Christ, we were in bondage. So God, from all eternity, provided a king to set us free, a head of the church, a judge of the world, to protect and then to guide us. This is what Ryan called our threefold remedy to our threefold problem. I believe John 18, this sad scene of Jesus' judgment, reveals all three offices of mediator. Let's begin in John 18, 33, and I'll be skipping around a little bit, so try to keep up. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Office of king. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, office of prophet. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Turn over to John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Drop down to verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, that is Pilate, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified, our priest. 
Let me pray one more time. Lord Jesus, thank you for your obedience, even to the point of crucifixion. Lord, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to adore you, our King. Amen. We love Advent when we reflect on the second person of the Godhead coming to earth and taking on flesh for us. But hear the words of Christ, why he took on flesh for us. In verse 37, he says, for this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to truth. And as we read, he has come to be the king. His kingdom is not of this world, he says. He has come to be crucified on our behalf. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. I pray that by the end of this sermon series, which is next week, we all will recognize more and appreciate more deeply the purpose for which Jesus was born. To be your very personal, heavenly prophet, priest, and king to fulfill your joy. That Jesus, the God-man, is now the mediator between God and man. And as your mediator, even in this very moment, church, he reigns as your king. We have a king. There are implications to the reality of this for us, church. Jesus was born for this reason, and his kingdom does not begin with his second advent. It has already begun for us. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. This is an important concept for us, that all authority in heaven and earth was given to the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he is always reigning until the end of the age. He is the king now. But are you living as citizens of the kingdom of God? Hear the words of the Apostle Peter in his famous Pentecost sermon. Acts 2, we'll start in 30. We'll start in 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, King David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, that David, he, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of David's descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. See, we read that in the Apostles' Creed this morning. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses of. They, they saw Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, as we will read soon, his ascension. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter is saying, we saw the work of God in Christ with our eyes. You see and you hear the work of God through the Spirit that he sent to be with us. 
It's a, it's a great like flip-flop there that he does. It's really cool. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens. David didn't do that. But he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. This is where our doctrine of God is really helpful. David is saying, and as we're revealed in the Old Testament, that God has made a promise to David. He made an oath, and our God is unchanging forever. This oath, this promise that there will be a descendant of David on the throne of David over God's people forever will come to be. He would be an offspring of Eve. He would be a high priest in the order of the priest king of Salem, Melchizedek, and that he would be a king from the line of David, as we have seen over the past few weeks, has all been fulfilled in Christ. This is what the people of the Old Testament were so much waiting for. We desire this king. We desire this Lord Christ. This is what Peter is reminding them of. He's saying he is the Lord. He is meaning in Greek the supreme authority, the kurios. We, he has made him the Christ, which is the Messiah or the anointed one. This is Jesus, the anointed one. Kings were anointed by oil as a sign of them being set apart, but it was also a symbol of them being covered by the power of God, his Holy Spirit. Israel was waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come, for the King Messiah to arrive and break every chain of bondage, especially that of the Roman Empire in the time of Christ. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And this is what we get in Jesus, the King Messiah, the Christ, the appearance of the Son of God to ransom the captive peoples. This is why we see at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel means good news, but not just any good news. It's specific good news of a king that is coming. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, his own words, the time is fulfilled. I mean, if I were around, I'd perk up. I'd believe it's, it's, it's happening now. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus truly is the king that we've all need and the king that we all may have by faith. And for the remainder of the message, I just have two simple points. One, know Christ who is your God. And two, live today as citizens of his kingdom. Know Christ who is your king, whether you accept him or not. But you should accept him.
Or two, live today while there's still time as citizens of his kingdom. Know Christ who is your king. Hark the herald angels sing, glory be to the newborn king. So what kind of king is Jesus then? And what is his kingdom? Understanding these questions will prepare us to live properly as his people in his kingdom. Without question, Jesus' kingship was misunderstood by the people of his day. Remember what we've already read in John 18? Are you a king? Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If you remember the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he was even confused by Jesus' ministry at one point. He questioned if Jesus was actually the coming Messiah king. Probably because the Jewish people expected an immediate kingdom of glory. What they didn't expect was a kingdom of grace. Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. A kingdom purchased by his death on a cross. Not a hostile takeover of the nations and of rulers, but a hostile takeover of dark hearts and ignorant minds. For this reason, for this purpose, I have come into the world. I have been born to bring light into the darkness. Even his apostles misunderstand, misunderstood what Jesus was doing. Turn over to Acts 1. Hopefully you're still in Acts 2. Go over to Acts 1, verse 6. So here are the eyewitnesses of his life, crucifixion, resurrection. And they're talking to the resurrected Jesus. And right before his ascension, they have one last question. Can you guess what it is? We'll read it together. Verse 6. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is what was on their heart. They desired that kingdom that they thought Jesus was going to bring in, but according to their understanding. This is what Jesus says. It may seem like his answer doesn't directly answer their question, but it absolutely does. This is what he says to their question. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went away, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." This is, this is remarkable. The apostles are saying, Jesus, when will you establish your kingdom in Israel? Jesus responds, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and establish my kingdom to the ends of the earth. Their mindset, their understanding was on this territory. God says, I have a much bigger plan. The victory as a king that I purchased on the cross was not this takeover of Israel like you think, 
but it is a gospel of grace that will extend to all nations, to all people, to the ends of the earth. This is amazing, church. And Jesus is also returning to establish his kingdom of glory. But what is his kingdom now then? What is the kingdom then? I'll just share two notes on what I, I, how I understand it. First, it actually is a universal kingdom. Meaning that there is no limited land area that Jesus is reigning over today. His people are under his kingship now. And they are to spread the good news of Jesus' return to the whole world. And good news, church, Jesus' power is not just limited to the church. Jesus' power is not only limited to those who say, you are my king. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, did not gain any power, did not gain any authority, did not gain any territory that he did not already possess for all of eternity. Okay? But as the mediator, the God-man, Jesus, became possessor of this power and authority in his ascension. Do you see what's going on right there? That means that Jesus' human nature now shares in divine dominion. That's everything. The God-man, our mediator, has dominion over all things. Jesus ascended and reigns as the king of grace and the king of power. Psalm 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. From his throne, Jesus, our mediator, the God-man, perfectly guides all things by his power and authority. And his heart, church, is for you. In the midst of all he's doing, all his power, all his authority, his heart is for you. His plans cannot be thwarted. His will cannot be overturned. Though the nations and Satan will try, we're told. Revelation 17, 14 says, They, meaning the nations, will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For the Lord is the Lord of the church. No, he is the Lord of all lords. And the lamb is the king of just the church? No, he is the king of all kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. In Reformed theology, this cosmic kingdom of power is called the kingdom of power. <laughs> Showed my hand there too quick. Second, it makes sense why it's called the kingdom of power, doesn't it? Second, there is also, though, a kingdom of grace. These categories are really helpful for us. There is a kingdom of grace. This is his spiritual kingdom because the end goal of God's mission is spiritual until his return. His mission for his church is to reconcile man to God. 
and hearts of mankind to worship in spirit and truth. That is the mission. And it is a spiritual kingdom, in my understanding, that a spiritual kingdom is actually more powerful than a physical kingdom. Why? Because our king, our king, church, does not sit on a throne in some distant land, nor does he simply just rule from heaven, nor does he just rule from the hearts of a few people. But he rules over and dwells among all of his people, always spiritually. This is vastly better than having a physical king sitting on a throne nearly 7,000 miles away in Jerusalem. He is here now with us. Listen to this quote from theologian Louis Burkhoff. I love this. He says, The idea that Christ now rules the destinies of individuals and nations in the interest of his blood-bought church is far more comforting than the notion that he is now a refugee on the throne of heaven. Jesus didn't ascend to heaven to escape us. It's not why he went to heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven to establish his role as the spiritual supreme king for all of us. Hebrews 1.8, as it quotes from Psalm 45, which we read this morning, says this, But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, speaking of Christ. O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. God is with us. And here's our second point. How are we to live today as citizens of the kingdom? Okay, if, this, if we now understand what kind of king he is, how are we to live now in that kingdom? And again, I'll just make two quick important uh, points on this, though there's so much to say about living in the kingdom of heaven. First, the mission of our king must be our mission. The mission of our king must be our mission. As the sovereign, omnipotent, and holy Lord over us, he has given us a mission to accomplish. And we must pursue his mission by his spiritual means. Doesn't it feel like sometimes that there's so little difference between the church and the world? I hate to even say that, but I feel that sometimes. I hear these statistics about non-Christians and those who profess Jesus as king, and I hear about the moral results of decisions that they make, and there seems to be no difference between those who are saying they're citizens of the kingdom, and those who reject Jesus as sovereign king. And it breaks my heart to see so many say that they belong to the kingdom of God, but they live as if Jesus was never resurrected. Or it's as if Jesus is some king in a faraway place and has no idea what's going on among the hearts of his people. People who would rather proclaim outwardly Jesus is my king, 
but live in a kingdom as if he's not ruling over it. Living as if Jesus were some weak king, some unwise king. I think it's because they're looking for a kingdom that is of this world. Many either don't believe in the spiritual kingdom or they take matters into their own hands and seek to build up Jesus' kingdom physically on earth now before it's time. Both of those reactions are vastly misled. Our mission is not to Christianize the nations. It's not to create Christian laws and force people who reject Jesus as king to live as if they believed he's king. Our mission is spiritual. It is to, it is to proclaim the truth that they have a king. And he is a good king. And he is for them. And he has done everything. He has not held anything back, even himself, even his own life, to purchase them and to fulfill their longings. The kingdom that is to come, that future kingdom that follows Jesus upon his return, is truly a physical kingdom. There is, that is his kingdom of glory, I should say, on that unknown day when he returns. He will not be an infant laid in a manger. He will not be someone whose kingship is questioned or doubted by anyone. Christ the king will return in glory, and the whole earth will know that this is the king of kings. Those of his kingdom have nothing to fear. Those outside of his kingdom will come to know the king that they have rejected. And he will not be some squishy, live and let live, weak king. He is coming to judge. Squishy, yep. I didn't write that, but um, often um, when, I, when, I share, <laughs> when I share the gospel, right, Ryan and I get to do this uh, just about weekly, you know, we offer the good news of Christ, and frequently what I hear back from, from non-believers is, I'll say, you know, would you like to know about Jesus? I don't know what I say. I say something different every time, but I'll, I'll, I'll present the gospel to them, and not infrequently, I'll hear back, no thanks, I'm good followed by a slight chuckle. Every time I hear, no thanks, I'm good, I get the same feeling in the pit of my stomach. You're not good. You're not good. I don't know how to help you see this, but you aren't good. I don't mean that morally. That's true. I mean, their position before the returning king is not a good position to be in. All I can do is pray for them. The king is coming, and his kingdom will be of the earth on that day. Will you be in it? So our mission is to live faithful all the days of our lives as members of his spiritual kingdom now. We say this often at Calvary Redeeming Grace. The mission of the church is primarily spiritual. People don't like that. But it's true. We don't neglect. It doesn't mean we neglect the physical needs of our neighbors. We feed the hungry. We protect the preborn. 
But our primary mission is a spiritual one, that by the power of the Spirit, we are Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news message that the King is returning. O morning stars together proclaim thy holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. My final comment on how to live as kingdom citizens is to live then as the king. Live as the king, as kingdom citizens. Are you still with me, church? Living as the king requires a life of faith in our resurrected Savior. It's a life of faith, putting to death the sins that kill us and putting on Christ our mediator, Colossians 3. It requires delighting in all that he delights in, hating all that he hates. We seek every day to be filled and pleased by the things that resemble him. Promote the king, not yourself. He is the king. You are a servant. Live as if the king is the main character in the story of your life. Living with Jesus as your king is not easy, though. We know this. All of the apostles who witnessed Jesus' ascension into heaven in Acts, they went and did what Jesus asked them to do. They were his witnesses, and they spread out the gospel outside of Israel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're in Colorado today preaching the same good news. Go and read the book of Acts if you haven't. They unashamedly proclaimed Jesus to be their king, and they were despised by men, scoffed at, laughed at mistreated by governments. And according to tradition, each of these men were martyred for their ministry, except for John. Each of them finished their race and received an unfading crown of glory, 1 Peter 5. Church, like those who have gone before us, the nations and governments of today, organizations and people today, they do not acknowledge their creator king as they should. They openly slander the king's bride. They wound her and celebrate the persecution of the church. They do not take seriously the ambassadors of the king. They treat citizens of God's kingdom as fools. They do not fear the wrath of the king. They are like Pontius Pilate, mocking Christ. Are you the king? Are you the king? What is truth? And they smirk as they say, no thanks, I'm good. But remember, brothers and sisters, our mission is to simply present the king. Excuse me, is to simply present the king for who he is. We do not need to protect the king. He protects us and preserves us. Thank you, Lord. The kingdoms of man may press down hard on us as the church, but not even the gates of hell will claim victory against us. Turn from the kingdoms of man and bow to Jesus. Do not put your trust in kings or presidents to save this world from its problems. They do not have the power to conquer sin and death and Satan, for these are the world's problems. Listen to Christ's testimony in Luke 4, and this will be our last passage as we close. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. 
And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is where he was raised. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, kingly language, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. Who has authority to set the oppressed free? Only the king. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. That verse, verse 18. That is what Israel was waiting for. That is what every heart longs for. Christ's mediatorial kingdom is a spiritual one. So don't merely look for physical markers that he is the king. Check your heart. So as we close, I encourage you during this season of reflecting and longing to make Christ your king, to live today as citizens of his kingdom. The infant king who was worshipped and proclaimed by angels at his birth was questioned by his own and denied at his death. The infant who, was, who received kingly gifts from the Magi and bowed their knees was given a crown of thorns pushed into his head and mocked as a man at his death. The infant king who was laid lowly in a manger was lifted high as he was nailed to a wooden cross. And now our king lives and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, clothed in glory with his eyes set upon his people. Worship him. Know his kingship. Know his kingdoms of power and grace and glory. And long live our king. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. And all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness no stranger. Behold your king. Behold your king. Before him lowly bent. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's easy for us to simply know you are king, but it is another thing for us to worship you and live faithfully in this, as citizens of your kingdom each and every day. We pray for mercy our mediator. We pray for strength, Spirit of God, to live with Christ as our King until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.